What's up? My name is Jordan Williams, and welcome to our latest Instant Recap podcast on the Land Grand Holy Land feed, where we break down the latest games with in-depth analysis, discuss the overarching themes, and what comes next. I'm joined by Christopher Rennie, host of the Buck Off podcast. How you doing, Chris? Doing well today, Jordan. I was doing a lot better until about five minutes ago, though. Uh, pretty heartbreaking, blood pressure rising game there. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. So let, let's just get right right into it. Um, Carmen's crew surprisingly um, loses to the the money team. And yes, it is the money team, Floyd Money Mayweather. Um, Carmen's crew falls 91-89. Um, yeah, it was it was it was tough. Uh they were leading they were leading by 18 points um uh, in the third quarter. They had a 5-point lead going into the Elam ending and it seemed to be going well. I mean, if you just we want to start in the first in the first quarter of the first half, I mean, they shot 5 for 5 and 3 in the first half, led by 10 after one. Um what what happened? How did they end up losing this game? Yeah, to be honest, I thought this game was one of their better offensive performances. And, you know, I think going into the preview, I remember chatting with Justin Goba, one of our basketball experts. He said the money team is capable of getting hot on the offensive end as well, and he thought this game would be a little different. And it ended up kind of being a high-scoring affair. I mean, this is the highest-scoring game both teams have played in the tournament. And at the end of the day, Carmen's crew just went cold at the wrong time. Uh the money team was able to sort of make up the ground after that disappointing first half from them going into the half down as much as they were. And overall, they just had some players come down the stretch and make some big shots and Carmen's crew did not uh, how we got there. Uh, there's probably a lot of reasons, uh, but yeah, I just kind of really, it's a disappointing game and it, you look at the box scores, it doesn't even feel like Carmen's crew really should have lost it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, disappointing is really disappointing is the only way to describe it, and yet it feels like it's not enough. I mean, again, I already said you're up 18 in the third quarter. Um, you go into the Elam ending down five. Um, it's not great, but still, it's the first. It's the first to 91. You have a 13 point head start. You think you can score eight points before they can score 13. Uh, it did not work out that way. Um, Carmen's crew got into some foul trouble in the fourth, which helped. Um, one of the one of the slightly different rules in the TBT is uh, once you're in foul trouble, um, once you're in the bonus, you get you shoot one free throw and get the ball, um, which is really really where the money team made their comeback. I think what I didn't count it. Did you? There was three or four instances where that happened at, yeah, in the I- Elam ending. I didn't get the number either, but that was one rule that like kind of threw me for a loop when I first saw it. I was like, wait, 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 what? They're getting the ball back immediately after. And that led to them having a lot of like three-point chances, opportunities. But even just making Carmen's crew have to defend that much longer, tire them out a little bit more, you know, kind of take that extra break you get from a traditional one-and-one or a double bonus situation in basketball – uh, it was a lot different. Uh, it's definitely a lot more challenging for a team to close out with that. And they also put themselves at a disadvantage by not attacking the rim because they weren't in the bonus till late in the Elam ending. And they really did not get to take advantage of that at all. Yeah, exactly. And I do want to, I want to point that out. I mean, the, for everyone, for anyone who didn't watch the game winning play was on that bonus. Uh, it was 89, it was 89 to 88. 
um, and the money team got the ball. They got fouled, made the free throw. It was 89-89. They got the ball back and shot a mid-range jumper for the win. So, you know, you think if it's a regular one-and-one or two shots, whatever it is, Carmen's crew gets the ball back with a chance to win. Um, but that really, like you mentioned, it turned into a three-point play. They get the they get the foul, they shoot one, get the ball back, that's three points, they win. And Carmen's crew can't do anything, they don't get the possession back. Um, where in a regular basketball game, you will. Um, before we continue just in general, um, how do you feel about the Elam ending? I don't know if you talked about that, but I don't think this win – um, whether you view it positively or negatively, um, obviously positively for the money team and maybe negatively for Carmen's crew, but this comeback probably doesn't happen without the Elam ending or some unique rules from uh, the basketball tournament. Yeah, I think the Elam ending is a great addition to the sport. I think overall it tells like a different story of the game where, you know, when you play pickup basketball and you're playing to 15 and it's capped, it really adds the intensity of the last baskets because there's no chance of getting back into the game once it's hit. Like you can't come back from 15-8 when it's that way, you know. And that's how the Elam ending is. It's the first there. So every single possession where both teams got closer, I felt this level of intensity increase. And, you know, as long as there's still time on the clock, as long as there's still possessions, you usually feel like you have a chance to win. Once he hit that mid-range jumper, I thought – oh, this is over. Like, this is weird. This is kind of a weird feeling. Like, that just ended it. He had a game winner, and it was just a normal basketball play. Yeah. One thing I will give credit uh, to the other guys for, um, they didn't settle. Uh, when they had 88 points, they could have settled for a three to try to end it, and they didn't. And and that's really what um, Carmen's crew didn't do. You know, the money team, they kept driving. They kept getting fouls drawn. And um, part of the reason for the Elam ending is just so – it's not what we normally see in basketball where it's filing to stop the clock and all that other kind of stuff. But the money team was just able to to draw foul after foul after foul. I really felt like they got a foul on every single possession in the Elam ending. Um, yeah, in the Elam ending, it also felt like uh, the intensity level shifted for the money team, whereas our, our team, the Buckeye faithful, the team we're rooting for, the Carmen's crew, they – seemed to take their foot off the gas a little bit. They sort of thought the game was going to come back to them their way a little bit. The defensive intensity didn't slow down. Uh, the money team made some tough shots, but it never felt like the offensive cohesiveness clicked for the last three or four minutes of the game either. Yeah, it definitely didn't after going, you know, five for five and shooting at a blistering pace in the first half. They shot 33% in the second. And honestly, that didn't even, that really didn't hurt them because the third quarter was 16 16 and points scored. So they still had a big lead. But that fourth quarter is really what did it. They were outscored um, 27 to 13 in the fourth quarter. Uh, that is major. Um, that is a, a major swing. And, and that's, the, that's the game right there. You know, you make a couple shots, you stop a couple shots, one or two less fouls, and you win. Yeah, it's interesting because I think the last two games we sort of ran into the same issue when we were watching them, when we were kind of evaluating the the game itself. Carmen's crew wasn't really able to close out uh, Mid-American Unity early. They kind of let them hang around a little bit. And then Men of Mackey, albeit it was more of a blowout in that game, they still had those same signs kind of letting them get back into the game. Uh, this time it ended up kind of being the thorn in their side they let them back in the game and they just never left and that's something that we didn't really see we saw a little bit more composure on the offensive end in this game it wasn't there they just kind of 
I, I don't want to say folded because they were still playing hard, but it just kind of backfired on them this time instead of, you know, being able to co- overcome it. Yeah, definitely. And correct me if I'm wrong, that just feels like an Ohio State thing to do. Um, I hate watching close Ohio State games, whether it's Carmen's crew, whether it's, you know, Thad Mata, whether it's Chris Holtman. I just feel like if, if it's not a straight blowout in the fourth quarter, the team's always going to run. They're always fighting back. Sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. Um, but it just seems like something about the Buckeyes and, and the fourth, it, it, they struggle to close out teams. Um, and there was a, a bunch of games in the college basketball season where we had a lead. And then the fourth came and they came back. So I don't know what that says about the Buckeye basketball. Um, It is definitely, as a fan, frustrating to watch, um, especially to see, in this case, such a drastic lead um, get, I mean, literally just obliterated in a matter of minutes. Um, It was, you know, maybe a six-minute stretch and like four minutes in the third and the first two minutes of the second, and it was a five-point game. Um, So – that is not great. That is not great at all. Um, I've got a Xavier, question here for you yeah. also. So uh, not to jump in here, but I, I was kind of disappointed in the lineup choice solely went with to close out the game. You know, I think the money team really went with a small ball lineup, and I think Jeff Gibbs and Costa Kufas on the floor together kind of created a log jam in the middle. And I just kind of wanted to see, like, how you felt that was handled. I didn't think it was probably the best lineup to have out there in winning time. No, that is a great question because it brings me to a point that I I wrote on our little show plan to mention. Um, I don't think that was a great lineup. I I get why, um, but really anyone who watched the game, you know, um, the money team stayed in the game because of cutting and second chance points. Um, And one thing that the announcer mentioned is that Jeff Gibbs had the tendency to try to help and his man would cut behind him. Um, and when you have Costa Kufis and Jeff Gibbs, who are, you know, powerful, they're dominant, that works against the men of Mackey. But when you go small ball and you have quick guys cutting underneath you, um, guys who know how to lay the ball up, you know, and use the rim um, as an extra as an extra teammate so you can't really block them or you're forced to foul them, that doesn't really work. And so I'm glad you brought that up because I definitely think that was a part of it. Uh, I kind of understand why you want to leave Costa Kufis out there. He was – I think the leading scorer, the second leading scorer, I mean, he's played amazing, but to have them both and to not try to match that small ball lineup, I do think that was um, I do think that was a mistake, and I think that showed in the fourth um, and in the fourth quarter and in the Elam ending. Yeah, and I think if they were worried about losing defensive integrity on it, I think there's a guy in Aaron Kraft who probably could have came in and guarded one through three on the money team. They weren't overwhelmingly big. And, you know, I saw Diebler on, uh, I think his name was Ledletter or Ledbetter. Yeah, he uh, he was able to take advantage of John Diebler on the defensive end, but mostly because of the mismatches created with the speed and space against Gibbs and Kufis. So it kind of put all the other players in jeopardy with the overhelping because then once that other person cuts, it takes a guy like Diebler off of one of the shooters and then uh Ledbetter and a few of the other guys Munford hit some huge shots down the stretch due to all the over rotating all the over rotating on defense yeah no that is exactly right um they really played in space they really you know got the Buckeyes moving and once they moved, they it was just perfect. It was just seamless basketball, the way they cut in space, the way they made the extra pass, um, and the second chance points. I, I feel like um, 
within reason, they were just kind of out effort because it wasn't the talent. It was just, you know, they they found their bread and butter. And they kept making the right basketball play at the end. It, it felt like, you know, uh, Carmen's crew felt like they stopped making that right basketball play. They'd either overpass. They weren't confident taking the shot. They wanted to defer a little bit more to their teammate. And it kind of seemed like once William Buford hurt his ankle a little bit, he became a little less reliable. And I think that kind of he was he had been the closer the last couple games against the other two teams. Yeah, no, definitely. I just think the thing that stuck out to me the most is um, it was a it was very simple motion, right? It was cutting, you know, a backdoor cut, and it was the um, the pick and roll, and yeah. Carmen's crew just looked lost. Um, there were so many baskets where, and you know, it wasn't even a hard pick and roll where they really committed. Uh, you know, they really kind of showed and rolled off immediately, and it was just wide open in the lane. Um, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what the first or second thing you learn in basketball. You learn the pick and roll, and you learn the effort plays. You learn if your man looks the other way, you cut behind him, and that's really up until you know the Elam ending when when Munford, like you said, starts making some really tough shots. Um, it was effort plays. It was getting a three, and you know when the defense was scrambling, cutting behind someone, getting a rebound. Uh, Carmen's crew just seemed really out of position most of the game. Yeah, and I, I think overall in the fourth quarter it showed the most uh, because, like you said, they started knocking down shots, and it's hard to make those over commitments on defense. It's easy actually when they're not making shots because that's kind of what you start thinking is forcing those misses. But eventually those open shots, those extra passes, the players are going to start changing and they made their adjustment. And I think it was a little too late for Carmen's crew to respond to how their offense changed so immediately. Yeah, I would say in the first half, it was, you know, three is more than two. You know, the offense was there for the money team and the cutting and everything was there, but most of their, you know, most of their points were coming from the two where we were scorching hot from three. So, you know, we built that lead. We had a good run. But then when the three stopped falling and we couldn't stop their, you know, their offense and we couldn't get, a, you know, a good offense in the half court, you know, the points just it just started falling off the board. And then I think they started scrambling, you know, as, as you tend to do. Um, then they started fouling um, or – you know, the money team drew fouls. I'm not really sure. Some of them were a little ticky tack, but, you know, as my coach always told me, you should never put yourself in a position where the refs can lose you the game. So at the end of the day, you got to stop fouling. And I think that goes back to your overall point. You know, maybe if we had some quicker guys, some smaller guys, maybe they don't foul as much because they can, you know, keep up with that motion. Yeah. And there's two players missing from the stretch run that had been playing huge, crucial roles offensively. And that's William Buford and Mavunga, and you can't discount that when you look at the whole of the game because Lenzel Smith Jr., although two for three, is not a guy who's going to come in and start knocking down shots. Shannon Scott struggled offensively the whole tournament, and you have the bigs in, and they're not ball handlers, so now you start limiting yourself when the money team started doing that soft full-court press. So there was kind of just a lot of issues in the way uh, Carmen's crew responded, and that's kind of where I think this game was lost. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, I think I, I, you really just have to give credit to the money team for not giving up. In a tournament like this, it, it, it could be very easy to give up when you're down 18, um, and they didn't, and Carmen's crew just didn't react. Um, you can point to a lot of things, some of it coaching, some of it the roster decisions, and some of it just not being able to stop really day one basketball. Um 
screen and roll and cutting to the and cutting to the basket. The one question that I wanted to ask you as we start to wrap up, um, what what's next for Carmen's crew? Obviously, they're going to be back in um, 2022 for the basketball tournament. We all expect that. Uh, they made a, a slightly better run, and they really should be going on to the quarterfinals in Dayton. Um, but unfortunately, they're not. Where do you think they go from here? Are there any players you think have to be on the team next year? Do you? Do you foresee any changes? Kind of um, just, you know, walk us through what you would do um, coming into next year. Yeah, I absolutely think the key for this team is to get a little bit younger. Okay, I think you've got your core group with William Buford. I think you've got the core group with David Lighty. I think Costa Kufis is for sure a keeper next year. But I think there's a lot of age at the bottom of the lineup. Uh, John Diebler's getting older. I know he's a great knockdown three-point shooter. Aaron Kraft came in with only six months of training. I think the uh, announcer said, uh, you know, Evan Ravenel, he adds a lot of energy and spacing, but I'm just not sure he provides enough to warrant a roster spot in a tournament that's getting more and more competitive. I think if I look for an outside addition that's an Ohio State player, I think the first guy I look at is C.J. Walker. You get a young defensive-oriented guard who can knock down a three. He can score. Uh, he's a pretty aggressive basketball player. I think he fit. he would fit very well on this team. I think the loss of Caleb Wesson gave us Costa Kufis, but I think those are the two bigs you try to go into this tournament with next year. Yeah, I couldn't have said that better myself. Uh, I definitely wanted to point out that Costa Kufis has to come back. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, maybe why he wasn't one of the first phone calls. Um, you know, Caleb Wesson getting a shot to play in the G League and, and to get back into the league, obviously that's priority. But if he's available next summer, you definitely have to get him. Costa Kufa showed a lot. He had over 10 points in each game, if I remember correctly. So he's definitely someone that has something. But I agree 100%. I do think they have to get younger. I remember, I think I looked at the roster and just about the majority of players played between, you know, 2006 to 2011. They were a very early Thad Mata guys. Um, and so there's a whole range, you know, that 2011 to 2020, 2021, some of those guys who haven't, um, latched on to a professional team yet are, or are professional, but are in the off season. I think you really just got to call all of those guys. Um, yeah. and I don't know, maybe, maybe do you think it, it's Sully doesn't know some of the younger guys? I, I don't, does Sully come back to Ohio state basketball often? Do you think that's maybe what it is? Do you think maybe the younger guys aren't interested? Um, why, why do you think there's so much age on this team? So I think this, I mean, I think this team was founded by those guys early on in the tournament process. They were scarlet and gray at first. And, you know, as, as a group, I think they wanted to have the core be their guys, you know. And I think as the tournament's grown, I think as the interest has been more drawn, I think solely, I mean, he, he was there for three or four years. He has a good connection to a lot of guys that were before him and after him. So I think... Uh, realistically, I think they can really probably start reaching out, but I think it's kind of just the championship team wanted to run it back. They had a disappointing team last year, and you could already see it with a couple of the guys they've added that they're getting younger. Uh, Aaron Kraft knows that he's not going to play basketball forever. You know, John Diebler, he's looking a little bit older. I know we'd always love that spot of three-point shooting, but it's just generally I just think they wanted to give these guys another shot. I think Soli, if he wants to take this seriously and treat it like a real coaching and general manager gig, it's time to evaluate it and maybe 
you know, Jeff Gibbs is 40. Granted, we love him. Granted, I'm the head man of Jeff Gibbs fan club. Uh, there's some question marks about how long this team can last in a six-game tournament. Yeah, I think that's an important question that I don't have the answer to. How serious are they taking it, you know? Is it just for fun? Um, and so you kind of want to play with your guys. And if that's the case, that's great. Obviously, as a fan, someone who who's invested in it, you maybe you want to see them go a little bit far. But if that's, you know, why they're doing it, I guess you can't be mad at that. But um, I agree 100%. If you are actually doing it for the competition, if you're actually doing it um, to win and to split that million dollars, uh, I think they do have to make some changes. And there's some guys who, I, I mean, just they're just not going to be there for whatever reason. Like Aaron Kraft already said, this is his last This is his last one. I know he says that to us all the time <laughs> that he's done playing, yeah. but he said that this is actually going to be his last one because he's going into his second year of medical school and he's not going to have any free time. Um, who knows if Jeff Gibbs is going to keep playing, but I think next year we'll see for sure, like how they feel about it. Like, are they serious? If they are, I think we'll see some decent changes and they'll get younger. Um, if they come back with the same team, I think we'll probably see a similar result. Um, but I think that'll tell us that they're, they're most likely here just for the fun and to play with their guys. And yeah, even with all that being said, this team as it is built has shown that they are a championship caliber team in TBT. So, I mean, it's always going to bring me to the television to watch these guys play basketball. And I just think, you know, in one-game scenarios, this type of stuff can just happen. It's just basketball. It's yeah. uh, it's tournament basketball. Uh, it does suck. I, it's a little disappointing. We were all, I think, expecting to have three more of these games to watch. And then heartbreak happened tonight. So, uh, I guess that would be... Uh, the unfortunate part about this, if this is the last time this roster exactly is together. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I feel like sometimes that heartbreak is the um, is what's to come to be expected of Ohio State basketball. Um, I feel like a lot of our teams underachieve and you, you look at it and it's just like one more little run here, one stop here, and we would have made it. And you look at every team, I feel – I feel just about this team, how I, how I felt about the actual basketball team. And it's like, man, when I when I look at my bracket, they could beat every single team on this bracket. And, and they could beat them handily. But are they going to is the question. It's never about ability. It's just will they. Um, and so and, and then today they didn't. And so now it's time for to focus on football. Um, then it's time to focus on the college basketball season. And we'll be back next year focusing on TBT again. Yeah, and I, I think last thing we should do, shout out the Covelli Center. I mean, that place was packed. It was oh, yeah. a great hosting venue. I think we didn't even talk about the black jerseys they wore today. Those things were absolutely phenomenal. And it's just unfortunate because I don't think we can break them out again in the future. Yeah, um, there was a. I think that's a great way to end it. There was a, a, a lot of cool things about TBT that just wasn't Carmen's crew. Um, one of the things that was really cool, um, the Men of Blue, who should have been our next opponent, uh, their old head coach, who is now the Alabama head coach, he promised his players that if they made it to the round of 16, he would find a way to Ohio. Um, he was there today supporting um, on the Ohio State side. There was a lot of old players. Mike Conley was there. Chris Holtman was there. Um I think this is a tournament that is really picking up steam and, and we're getting a lot of cool things. Um, Puma sponsored it. Uh, yeah. I didn't, did, you, did you catch the name of the company who helped design the jerseys? Yeah, Vista Print is the design sponsor for TBT. 
And yeah, I, I think this thing has gained real traction and it all starts with alumni support of the program, just like any other sports team we have at Ohio State. Yeah, alumni support of the program and, and players wanting to play with each other again. Yeah. And some of the some of the teams, you know, aren't only alumni teams, but most of them are. And so I think that kind of speaks to sports as a whole and the joy you get with playing with your guys, no matter where you're at in life, and the joys we get as fans getting to see old players in the colors again. You know, it's still the scarlet and gray. It's still. Ohio State, and you can't tell anyone that the Buffalo team's not Buffalo or Men of Mackey's not Purdue. I'm sure all of their fans are just as um, just as into it as we are. Yeah, it's just been it's it's been a fun run for Carmen's crew since they've been in TBT. I can't complain about having summer basketball to watch that I actually care about. Oh no, not at all. And I've been converted. I I, I started this by saying um, I kind of had seen the TV uh, TBD tournament, but I'd never watched it. And now I'll probably watch it every year. So um, it was definitely definitely enjoyable. Um, Would have preferred to go a little bit further though. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I, I think I think that's that's the analysis that we have. Do you have any? Um, any last things that you want to say about the tournament, the team, um, next year, anything that you're looking forward to? Yeah, I think overall this tournament is it's getting more and more successful, and I think that's something to be proud of. I remember when this first started, it caught my eye because I'm just a sports junkie, so I was just looking for something else to watch in the summer. And ever since, I've just been an avid follower of it. I think a lot of people are starting to add this into their sports calendar and that's like the best part about this is this thing is really growing into something i i agree um it can never get too much sports and i love when something like this comes really from grassroots um and, and a lot of people get to get involved in it now all the sponsors are involved i mean it's on espn not you know it's hard to get some college football teams on espn and it's on espn not espn college not espn u or espn3 like this game was on espn um which means it, it is major programming so i definitely think it's something to look forward to each and every year i don't see it going away this was year eight and i can see this lasting for a very long time getting bigger and bigger um and I think that is just good for the sports world as a whole. It's good for Buckeye fans because we are sickos and we want as much Buckeye content as possible. Um, and speaking of Buckeye content, I mean, me and you will be doing this every week after the Ohio State football game. So if for some reason you like the sound of our voice or you, or you like you like our content, we will be back on this feed doing the instant recaps after every single Ohio State football game. And I can promise you um, our resident Buckeye insider, uh, Chris Rennie, uh, got, got a text from the source today that said the Buckeyes are going to be good. So can you confirm that? I can confirm, but I cannot name my source. Uh, That's actually very confidential. And I'd lose them as a source if I did. So uh, confirmed, but can't name the source. Well, we would never ask you to name the source, but you can come back to hear all of our our great content on uh, Buckeye Football. Um, And shout out to Carmen's crew for the good run. Uh, That's all for us today. Um, As I mentioned, we'll be back for more recaps. Uh, You can check us out on the Land Grant Holy Land feed. Um, But up until then, you can catch us every Friday on the Buckeye podcast. Definitely catch this show. I'm sure we'll be talking about conference realignment. Um, You can find me on Twitter at JW330, Jordan W330. Chris, where can they find you? 
You can find me on Twitter at CFB, and you can find the Bug Off Podcast at Bug Off Pod. Uh, that's where you'll find me talking most days of the week, and uh, we record every Wednesday for a Friday show. So make sure you're following that and subscribe to that. All right. Thank you for the time. Thank you for listening. Go Bucks. Go Bucks.